I think that we have to just change the way that we measure in the success of our kids, but also it's just the system. It's it's it needs to we need a revolution in education. Welcome to Cafe Con Leadership and today's guest, I have John Moreno Escobar, the one and only. No, the clearly one. the one and only, the only one who hyphens his name like right? that. Right? I was wondering. And I get upset. About that. I get upset when people don't hyphen hyphen my name. It's it's just it's a long story. I don't know if we have time for that, but let's really, go into it. Let's really, talk about that. <laughs> no, in a nutshell, when I when I came, I came when I was 18. And um and it was and that a, came to the United States or came to yeah, Florida? Came to the United States. Yeah, yeah. I came to New York first. Um and I went to Queens, all my people from Queens, New York, Jackson Heights, Corona, Elmhurst. Yes, I'm co- I'm going back next week. Um, but I, so I so I, I I went to New York and um, and so when I went all my my paperwork to become a resident, uh, I remember the first time I got my, my my residency card, my name was John Moreno, and my mom got super upset. Like, oh, se olvidó de su apellido. Ah, your mom doesn't exist. Blah 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 blah. So when so I had to actually go through the process of changing my name entirely because of my mom so i i i honor my mom's last name i honor my my mom's last name also because the person that i'm now and the person that i was when i was a little kid um and the access that i had to education and to being a middle class family in colombia was because of my grandfather from my mom's side um he was an entrepreneur he he was a a person that you know give us everything education housing food you know he was the one that provided to my entire escobar family so i was like yeah it makes sense so i i changed my name and i hyphenated like my son's hyphenated name too he has his mom and and his dad last names that's so awesome. You know, like, I think that's it more in la, the Latino culture, right? Because yeah. like I have on my birth certificate, Torres Medina, you know, and mm-hmm. when I was, when I gave birth to my son, I thought that was common. Like I gave them he, my son's father's, you know, last name and then mine, but mm-hmm. the nurse never put it in, you know? So I was always like, wait, that's not how it's supposed to be. So I feel deprived. There's so many times and moments I'm like, man, I'm going to go add my name to it. I've been a single mom. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, you have to. I think it's just part of our culture, but also it's um, it, it is weird when you talk about like um, like women's right, right, um, women rights, and and you talk about like the the power of of women in our society. And I and you heard you heard me many times already talking about this topic, which is the future is female. But um, but I do believe that that having like that second last name it just empowers your kid or your daughter to your son or your daughter to to really highlight your mom right my son right off the bat when we were in new york and he was born in new york in manhattan he i was like birth certificate you know luca moreno ramos and hyphenated and my wife was like why i was like yes hyphenated that's how they're gonna call him and he he says his whole name he's like my name is luca moreno ramos that's so, awesome yeah 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 that's awesome. So tell us, take us to the through the the top. Take us to the top. I want to know. <laughs> give us give us a background on you, what you're up to, what you're doing right now, what you got going on, which is a right, lot. Right now, right now, definitely the elections priority number one in my life. Um, I think that we have to really um, all of us do whatever it's possible in our in our in our capacity to to move this uh, voting process forward, the democratic process. I think that the, the electing someone by voting, it's, it's, um, it's a privilege that not all the countries have. Um, in the United States, it's the, the largest and the most stable democracy in the world. And sometimes we don't, we, don't, we don't show it. I think that this is those critical moments where we have to show participation has to go off the roof, out of the roof. Um, so it's my priority number one, and then, uh, then I have a couple of things going on, and you know we have our foundation, which is the YB Foundation. We provide services to middle school and high school kids around career readiness, specifically on the technology side. So we expose kids to virtual reality, augmented reality, three hundred and sixty content, 
program in software engineering. You know, we try to expose kids in need, uh, brown and black kids, because we know there is a huge, 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 huge gap there. Um, and so we expose them to that through different programs, right? And we also um, create a lot of content around uh, college readiness. So we, you know, we we teach kids how to prepare, apply, and pay for college. And we do that by, you know, telling them what is a two-year, a four-year, what it's a master's, what is a PhD, what is your passion. Um, and so we do that. And then lastly, we provide kids with a lot of soft skills, right? So maybe you are a Latina or a Latino in a high school in New York or here in Broward County or in Miami, and you are a great student, but you don't know how to speak or you don't know how to dress for an internship or you don't know uh, how to meditate or how to eat well or how to do exercise or how to get access to uh, to content that will empower you to become the best version of yourself. Um, and our kids right now really don't have that option right now. It's all about like being online and trying to go through the curriculum, but all these extracurricular activities are just kind of like staying on the sidelines. And and I think that we have to start coming back into teaching our kids the basics, like how to become your best version before you make a decision. If you want to go to a two year, four year, do a PhD, do a master's, um, get a master's, get a PhD is who you are as a human being first and understand yourself. And that is not going to be through, you're not going to accomplish that by going through classes every day, nine to five. You're going to do it by meditating, by reading, by asking yourself questions and journaling. So that's what we do as a third kind of like leg of our program in the YB Foundation. Uh, and we've been around for four years uh, with a lot of success. Um in New York and here in South Florida. And last but not least, I'm the CEO of a consultant uh, consultancy company that owns a couple of businesses. So we own a podcast um, that uh, airs um, every year. Um, it's going to be our second season. Uh, it's a bilingual podcast. We have an office in Colombia, and then we have an office here in the United States. Uh, so we are super excited about that. And then we have as part of our of our of our big umbrella of businesses, the second business that we have, it's um it's a coding camp. So we we do coding academies for middle school and high school kids in in South Florida, uh, and we have other things running, but really those are the two big things that are happening right now. I love that. Um, you mentioned two things that I want to expound on. Um, uh, first, I want to know what drove you, what inspired you to start your first foundation? Like, what was that inspiration that you got, had? What was the, what was your surroundings? What was that trigger that said, I want to solve a problem that I see that exists? And I miss it. Actually, we do have a chat with all the funders of that first non-for-profit. I was in college, Sandra, when I started my first non-for-profit. I was in my senior year, um, and it was really uh, it was really bizarre because I, I was in in in, in the um, in the dining hall of the of the college I attended at the City University of New York in 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 Manhattan in, in New York, and um, and I was just like you know I was uh, an immigrant kid I was involved in sports I was also a senator um, uh, a student senator at my college so I was involved in a lot of things and I was part of different clubs. And one day, uh, I, I saw my my the person that became my best friend ever, uh, Maria Angelica Martinez, and she was kind of like down, and she was like, "Oh, and I was like, what what's going on?" She wasn't really my close friend, but we talk. And she told me about the dreamers, and she told me about the undocumented students, and she told me about the the path that they have in order to get to higher education and beyond. And I started doing a lot of research about like immigrant kids and Latino kids in particular. And doing that research, somebody, I don't, don't ask me whom, because that was a long time ago, introduced me to a high school in New York City called Pan American International High School. It still exists in Queens, New York, that only received immigrant kids with less than four years in the country. What it's called in the in the popular or in the in the streets, the out of the boat kids, right, um, and their families in the educational system. And and to not to make the, the story long, um, 
I I I was an, an athlete and I was also uh, part of a non for an organization for Colombians and I was interviewing, which became my best friend and my mi uña y mugre, um, uh, Sonia Sendoya. She was a, a, a softball player at, at Baruch at the university I attended, at the college I attended. And we interviewed each other and that, that, that. we had this for the newsletter of this club, this organization. And then I learned that she wanted to do something with student services. And I was like, oh, look, I want to do something to help this immigrant population, what we could do. I have this idea about college readiness. And then she was like, oh, I love it. I'm about to graduate. I need, I, I, I was missing one semester. She graduated one semester earlier. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll let you know. You know, I, I have to send an email to the principal and you know, Fast forwarding all this, Sonia kept emailing me, emailing me, emailing me, like, hey, John, where are I going to the high school? Where, nah, 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 nah. you know, it's always a female. It's always the power of the female follow up. Um, and and she made it happen. She did make it happen. And we we established our non for profit at that high school. And we serve many, many students of Latino origin in Spanish and English. We taught them how to, you know, uh, prepare, apply, and pay for college. And we did incredible, incredible work in that high school. Uh, they they remember us as the first college readiness program in their, in their school. And then we went to different schools and we went to the Bronx and we did work in the Bronx and Brooklyn. And, but to, to answer your question in, in a nutshell, it's, you know, it was finding a, a way to to solve an issue or to, to help solve an issue because it's not solved yet, but to help to solve an issue, be the part of the solution of a marginalized community. And that has been my driven always in, in corporate, in the startup world, in the non-for-profit world. Uh, it has been always about like identifying a community that needs the support, the help, and, and seeing how we could support that community uh, the best that we can. And at that time, I was maybe 22 or 23. And, and that actually, that non-for-profit helped me to graduate from, from college because they give me a scholarship to maintain the non-for-profit and keep going through school. That actually gave me a scholarship to do my master's. The president of the college I was attending was like, hey, we give you a full ride to your master's if you keep your non-for-profit running. And that's what I did. And you know, we dissolved the organization in 2012, if I'm not mistaken, because we all went in different tangents. I was already on a national level executive at that time in 2012. And then the rest of the individuals that were part of the organization also got their roles in different organizations. And and then we we actually had our reunion last year in December before all these crazy things happened with COVID. We, we were in New York with all the volunteers. It was so bizarre. All the volunteers and all the executives of that time, we were college kids trying to play as executives, but I learned so much from that experience. It was the best. That is so inspiring. And I bet for anyone listening to this, I mean, like even, you know, the, the, just the story of of all of that, of how you guys took the initiative. And yes, maybe it took a woman. And I love that you, you threw that in there. But what was like, and maybe it was her, I don't know, like, what was that, like the ganas, the, the yeah, I, I, I do have a, a, a place here. I do have a reason for this. And I, and I am capable of doing this. Like, I think the education system today, and I would love your thoughts on, on that mm. completely. Um, but does a disservice to the mentality of um, the conditioning of what our students are really capable of, or our children are really capable of. Yeah. What are you I, I think so two parts. It's, uh, in terms of like the driven of of that group, I think it was it was Sonia and I. We were we were the ones who were like in this high school twenty four seven. We got an office, which was great. The principal gave us an office. The, the school was brand new because it was a new program from the New York City Department of Education. They were new. We actually graduated the first class of those kids. Um, my one of my dear mentees, uh, Paula Vargas. Um, she was a high school student. I know her since she was in like ninth grade, graduated from high school, went into college, and now she's working at a technology company. And she helps me with some of the foundation work. Sometimes she volunteers to to um, to moderate panels or whatever. But because she understands the whole what we're trying to do, because she was that student sitting on that computer trying to figure out what they want to do. So um, so it was our passion of bringing these other Latino students together to help these other Latino students in high school. Because our program was based really out of 
Latino college students going and helping Latino high school students. And, and that was impactful because you saw a, you know, a, a senior, a junior in college going into a high school in Queens, helping a Nicaraguense right in ninth grade. And he or she was a Nicaraguense too, but she was a senior in college that will blow their kids' minds. And, and so I think that the, the talent and the abilities of our kids it's it's conditioning is conditioned by the red tip of our government. I think that our kids are are just um, are just limited to their options. And I want I'll give you an example. So may, many of you will say, "What is John talking about?" It's for example, my son. He is not an early bird. He is not going to teach a uh, learn at eight o'clock in the morning. This is the reality. He learns in different ways. Sometimes he wakes up. Uh, you know, on Wednesday, and he wants to absorb all the content that he didn't do in the first two days of school. And I think that our system in the United States is not, and, and not in not just on the United States, but in many parts of the world, is not built for the student. It's built for the red tape of the government, right? So how many students do you have? So we give you funding. So how many of them pass this test? So we give you funding. So how many of these teachers did this? So we give you funding. So it's all strapped to the cash. And if you follow the money, like we always, you know, said in politics, you follow the money, you find what why that's happening. It's because you know there is systems in place that are perpetuating the access of education to certain kids, right? Inequities and equity things are there, and people are trying to avoid that conversation. But it's it's coming after COVID. We started thinking about like, oh, you know, we are in the United States, in Florida, and and kids uh, are going to have a laptop. Well, many of them had laptops, but many, like hundreds of thousands of students. I think it was like 100,000 plus laptops were distributed in Broward County only to students. Imagine that this system is 267,000 kids. So that's like almost 40% of students didn't have a laptop. Okay, that's fine. Well, they got a laptop. Now, no, but they have Wi-Fi. No, no, no. They didn't have Wi-Fi. They didn't have Wi-Fi. So the digital divide was like they maybe had a... Uh, really a small gig Wi-Fi. They connected maybe their, their 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 cell phones to Wi-Fi and that was it, but not to have five phones and a laptop and the computers and everything on for five months, like what is happening now. So the, the way that the educational has to advance to really tap into the abilities of our kids, um, it's there. But our government institutions, like the school boards and the school boards of the states, are limiting that access. Don't ask me why. It might sound like a like a conspiracy theory, but it is there. We know. Because now everyone's like, oh, let's do go digital and we could do Canvas and we could... Well, these things were there 10 years ago. Why you didn't take advantage of them? Oh, because we thought it was too advanced. No, 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 it wasn't too advanced. Actually, it's too short now. We see Canvas is not even the solution. We see Zoom is not the solution. So our kids have incredible abilities. I think that at certain point when we professionalize teaching and we make it as important as a hedge fund president or we make it as important as a veteran, the teaching position, uh, we're going to have more people getting into teaching and we will be able to have personalized education, which is what we, I think, we need in this, in this, in this world. We need people like go in and talk to Sandra, John, and Carlos, and they all have the same style of learning, which is visual, and they're all in the same level. And this teacher is going to get them into the next level. And the next level is not by measuring them because they got into college. It's by measuring them that they've been happy, that they're not thinking about suicidal thoughts, that they're not thinking about depression, that they're not bullying other kids. That is how we measure success. It's not even they got into college and they did a master's. Because I bet you that all these success stories that high schools and colleges put in their brochures, oh, 100% college rate, uh, college access, uh, college admission <clears throat> rates, and then the colleges, oh, 180% of people are graduating from our colleges. How many of them are happy with what they're doing? Maybe 80% of them are not happy. Maybe 70% of them are not happy. So I think that we have to just change the way that we measure in the success of our kids, but also it's just the system. It's it's It needs to, we need a revolution in education. And and it's going to take maybe less time than what we thought before, but it's going to take some time. I agree. Um, I mean, all of that is is so true, <clears throat> you know. 
Like, where do we go now? You know, what is what what do you envision is the next um, phase of education and leadership in our school system? Like, how do we what can we do? You know, first of all, who are the people that are in charge of our immediacy of our school system? Like, how do how does the local general public get involved and know what's going on in our school systems? And should they? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, at what level do 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 you recommend parents to really get involved, maybe become a member of a PTA or, or, you know, what avenues are important, what avenues aren't important? I think it's like, it's like politics, right? If you don't participate, if you don't know what the hell is going on, you don't know what's going on, right? You don't know what you don't know. So I I, I just signed up today to my PTA with my son. He's in kindergarten. I just became a, a member of the PTA uh, for his local elementary school. Um, and I did it for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, it's because I want to know. And second, because I want to really help on the transformation of education, even if it's in my, in my, in my son's school. Um, but to your question, uh, different structures, right? In, in, in different states have different structures. Different counties have different structures. Here in South Florida, we have, especially here in Broward and Miami, we have school boards. School boards are based on members that get elected um, publicly, so a public office um, position. And then there's a superintendent, um, which is actually hired by the board, right? So uh, that superintendent is the one who manages the day-by-day -day operations of the school district. Um, and the board members are uh, are legislating uh, on budgets, on rest uh, on 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 uh, procedures and operations of the whole system of education, right? In this case, the said Broward County Public Schools or Miami-Dade Public Schools, not for the people who's here in South Florida, which are the two largest school districts. Miami is the fifth largest school district in the country, and Broward is the sixth largest school district in the country. So it's between them, I think it's almost 700,000 kids, right? Mm -hmm. New York City, just think about this. New York City is 1.1 million students. It's the largest school district in the country. And Broward and Miami are 700,000 plus. So imagine it's like we could be together the second or third largest school district in the country. And, and how to get involved? I think that, you know, uh, you have to know who's your school board member. Uh, you have to really, and especially for immigrant parents uh, or Latino parents and immigrant parents in general, we give up our rights to the school to raise our kids in the educational system. I think we just, oh, we're in America. United States is the best, is the best in everything, not in education. <laughs> you know, it's the best in everything. And we just give up the rights to, oh, kindergarten, you, you don't go to the meetings, you don't show up because you're busy working or because you want to do something at home at night. When I was in Colombia, let me tell you something, Sandra. My dad was in school every single week every single week he was meeting with the math teacher he was meeting with the science teacher how's john doing let me see this project da, da, da. he went to the parent teacher conferences i mean he was involved and he wasn't just my dad parent teacher conference in my school was like everyone want to be there there was social events there was community events there was bazaars there was bingos happening you know it was a it's a community thing it was important mm -hmm. for my for our parents when we came here, I think that we give up those rights and we said like, oh, you know, the best educational system in the world, that's what we think. And ah, they're gonna do whatever they want with it. And it becomes really, really not what, what it is, right? So if you don't get involved and you don't learn what is your why your son is learning the one through 10 numbers when he's in kindergarten and he already knows these numbers back and forth, how we could put him in another mm -hmm. level. What is happening with the kids that are advanced? What is happening with the kids that are behind the, the curriculum? You have to be, as a parent, you have to get involved. And, and if you don't want to get involved as a parent, but you want to get involved in the macro level, what, try to attend some of the school board meetings. They record it. They open to the public. You know, here in Florida, we have the Sunshine Law. So they have to be public and open to everyone. Um, if you don't want to get involved at that level, then just reach out to your school board member. If you don't want to get involved into that level, talk to your principal of your school. I mean, there are so many ways, but you have to get involved because there are so many things that are happening in our educational system, good and bad, um, that we all not need to know. Yes. 
<clears throat> Gosh, that's so incredible. And that's awesome that you had the support of a parent. Um, what, what do you think about like in the com Latino community where there's m mostly and statistically a lot of single parents mm -hmm. or a lot of, you know, like, what are your thoughts on that uh, when it comes to education and how do you have any ideas on how to support that? Or uh, Well, I, I think that, there, again, going back into the first part I mentioned in terms of education, the system is not built for our communities. Mm -hmm. The system knows that our parents work two, two jobs, that some of them are single parents. Um, some of schools, and I'm not talking about Florida, but other school districts, because I have traveled around the nation, they don't have bilingual materials. Mm -hmm. Here in Broward, we have an incredible unit that translates every single thing, Creole, Portuguese, and Spanish. But there's other communities that don't have that luxury. Um, I do believe, again, that if we will have personalized education, then you will have that teacher also making sure that that teacher is checking with the parent in the daily basis or in the mm -hmm. weekly basis. And it's much more manageable. But unfortunately, we don't have that. So it's a teacher managing 15 kids, and that teacher is not going to meet all the 15 parents at a certain point, not in the way that we should be you know, reaching out to the parents. So it is really challenging. Um, it's, 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 it's going to take some time to really fix it. Yeah. Um, gosh, I mean, like, there's so many thoughts that are going through my mind with this um, that I would love to, like, surface on that. I, I have a question because you mentioned something before, yeah. and when it comes to even the, um, the hierarchy in our school system, like mm -hmm. things like I was lucky enough that my son got out of school right when Common Core was mandatory. Mm. You know, what are your thoughts on and have you experienced? I know your son is just entering kindergarten, but Common Core like was a disaster. When I tried to consume it, I was like, what is this that they're yeah. doing? And yeah. I love that you're personalized. Like, I believe that same thing too. It should be personalized, but they throw something now as Common Core. Right. And I just I I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm against all this standardized um, ways of measuring our kids' abilities, right? I I I just can't, right? I, I feel that, and this is through COVID again. We have these structures of power in education, like big universities and big school districts. I think in like, well, well, hold on, right? We were thinking the ACT, SAT. Now they're not gonna require SAT for first time in history or SAT or SAT for kids applying to college for first time in history. Universities are not going to look into those tests. How is recruitment gonna look for universities? I don't know. They have to figure it out, right? There is something called blind, um, uh, blind acceptance in, uh, in, in blind meaning. You know, like they're not going to look into your background. They're not going to look into your status. They're not going to look into your grades. They're going to look into your personal essay. Who is Sandra? Who is John? How you ended sending this application here to Harvard University, right? And I think that the education is moving into that. And test is not, look, I was the worst test taker in the entire world. And I'm not saying I'm a bright man, but I got into positions where you will said. Oh, this maybe this guy came to Harvard or to Penn or to Stanford. No, I came from Broward College in New York City, right? And 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 so I think that that is our mental uh, a mental barrier that we have as a society that we have to put everyone in boxes. Like, oh, this is student is here, this is student is here. So the Common Core is crazy, right? I think that. And, you know, I was part of the task force in New York when we implemented two and, and, and it has his merits in certain areas. You know, when it comes into like science, of course, you have to have certain level to get into certain pieces of things. But, you know, and reading a book to my son the other day, now that you're talking about this standardized thing, I was reading the book of Albert Einstein to my son. He loves that book because he tells he's a testament of like he was different. He didn't speak right away. I think he started speaking when he was like five or something, right? Like way, way after he needed to speak. And, and he was an incredible bright person. And when he was in school, the teacher in the book, they said the teacher told Albert Einstein to follow the rules of the school or he needed to go because he needed to follow everything that the kids were doing. 
And Albert Einstein was in his mind thinking, I think what the book says is that Albert Einstein was just like out of the box that he made it even less intelligent or less brighter their peers, than his peers. No, he's maybe one of the you know brightest brains of our history, but he was, they were trying to put him in a box and he always jumped out of the box, right? And, and, but he ended kind of like surrender to the structure. And then he ended up working in a company and in a corporation and doing some customer service and he was quiet and blah, blah, blah. And then he just kind of like went into teaching. And that's when he actually became, you know, the bright person that we, not that he became, he actually uh, blossomed as the person that we know now. But so, so I just think that these standardized things are just a restriction to the, to the powers of our kids and even the restriction to the power of our adults because it's people who want to go back to school. Because <clears throat> formal school is, I, I'm not against it. I just think it has to be, in the, it has to be structured in a different way. Like for example, if you know, if you Sandra, go to, want to go to, back to school for any reason, you say, oh, you know, I, I want to go back because of the economy. I want to retrain myself. If I put these options into you, in front of you, which one do you will pick? The first one is you go into a college and it will take you maybe two, three years to graduate. The second one is I will give you a boot camp. They will take you 18 weeks to retrain yourself. And then the third one is I will tell you, oh, what is that you want to do? You want to do, I don't know, marketing and strategy, go to Coursera, go to any of these mocks and take a certificate, pay a hundred bucks and you will have it in three weeks. What are you going to pick? You're going to pick the four years? The three years? No. You're going to pick the 18 months? Or you're gonna pick the you know the the uh, the one month program. Oh my son just brushed. Oh my god, it's like, okay, mama. Mommy, can you can you put the battery? Oh my god, I'm sorry, son. So this sweet. is part of the no. podcast. This is part of it. Yes. Mama, I can't. I can't. I'm sorry. I'm in the middle of this interview. <laughs> I do it in a minute. I do it in a minute. I'll be there in a minute. Give me a second. I'm sorry. This is what happens. This is COVID, right? Yes, yes. Um, so, so yeah, I think that, that that is our challenge as a society and, and seeing how we could break through like big, big structures like higher education, like blind, blind admissions, it's huge. You know, imagine a rural kid going through so many things at home, being working and doing different things. And then Harvard is telling you, hey, you're now accepted to Harvard. And the kid is like, wow. And they're going to give him a full ride just because of blind admission, right? Now, the question is, is our kid prepared to go to Harvard, right? So that's another thing. The culturalization of the kid going into Harvard. But that's another thing that we have to think as a society. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, I love that. You know, I, I mean, that, that just brings up, you know, even more thought process, you know, when it comes to our education system. And I love that you put in and you mentioned this different way to educate our children. Like there is no one cookie cutter structure. Everybody learns differently. Everybody grasps knowledge differently and everybody uh, attempts and uh, takes action on that information differently. So how do you see like the future of education or, you know, more customized, um, you know, what do you, what do you see as far as, um, because I think as leaders, we are evolving and our education system is, or could, maybe that's, a, it's political, right, as well, um, like you mentioned. So how do we, you know, or what do we need to do to make sure that we are driving that change where our schools eventually maybe somehow deliver a more customized solution to make sure that we are bringing out the best in in our children because a lot of that stuff has inhibited and it, it is it's part of what i call in other talks like cultural baggage it it mm. inhibits somebody when somebody's inhibited on their way of learning or they're told they're not smart enough because they're not doing it exactly how the rest of the class is doing it that inhibits one's self-worth you know um just you know that that affects all of that and that changes our history, you know, with who people could potentially be. Do you feel that we'll ever get to a point where we have a customized education system or um, with, especially with the internet? I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, no, I, I think that that's where we're going. I think that, um, that education will become like going to a grocery store, right? So you like tomatoes and you like, 
I don't know, plum tomatoes. I like Romano tomatoes. And I'm going to get plum tomatoes and you're going to get Romaine tomatoes. I don't even remember what which one did you like, but uh, <laughs> you're going to get whatever you like, right? And and I think that that is the beauty of now having access to the internet because you could get education in so many ways. Yeah. Now, what it's to become more political, it's that now how is there a structure of power from the federal government all the way to our state and local governments are going to allow you to become part of the job market, to become part of, of entrepreneurship um, uh, environment without having a college degree or having a college degree or having a Coursera or having a boot camp, right? And and, and these this structures of power have are starting to break because uh, now we have here in South Florida big um, coding academies like WinCode or or others, and and they are creating talent or retraining people for talent that is needed in technology companies, and colleges are not even thinking about that, right? So how be how behind is that structure of power, right? But there there is dynamics and in innovation when it comes to education that are going to really break really really break what is happening what is happening right now in in our educational system so i think that it's going to take some time for um for our um for our structures of power specifically in the government to really get to understand that people could get educated in so many ways and and i think that there's going to be a a moment in our in our in our history in which People are going to get, uh, companies are going to get a person who went through Harvard, a person who went through a boot camp, a person who went through a local college, and a person that, you know, that re trained himself or herself through online courses. And they will be accepted to positions like CEOs or executive directors or software developers or engineers. They're all going to get into those positions, but they are going to uh, be, of course, uh, how you call that, um, uh, working together in collaboration, and 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 they, they that's how I see the workforce of the future is going to be a combination of ways of people acquiring education. Yeah, I love that, and I hope um, that you're right. You know, and I hope we can make that sooner than later. Um, you know, when it comes to customizing an experience, because you're right. I I know software developers right now and companies that are getting paid top dollar that have never taken a software development class in school. They learn via YouTube, you mm -hmm. know, and they are the best in their field, you know, just from learning and doing it themselves. And so. it's also about like the, the, the flexibility of you retraining yourself, which is, I think, the power that we have now. Uh, I've been working in 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 a couple of technology companies in my last um, my last uh, you know experiences, and we had a. And this is again through the work that we do of like asking people questions, and maybe that question came into the HR, but never to the executive team. We have a person in our executive team uh, that was he studied music, and and he was our head of marketing. He was brilliant in marketing. He was like, wow, you know, and and it was because he he just didn't know what to do when he went through college, and he just picked music out of one thing, right? Liberal arts music. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna finish college, and that's it. I will I will see what the universe brings me. And he just retrained himself through courses and through boot camps and through conferences and through so many things, and he was our head of marketing. Nobody knew. Like, yeah. you know, that he retrained himself um, where his job and work experience, he started getting into marketing and really exploring it. And he liked it and he liked it. And then he did another degree of marketing. Then he retrained himself to become the best person in marketing. And, you know, he was in several technology companies as head of marketing. Wow. Now, what are what are some either leaders or good books on leadership or like what what would you recommend maybe can open up some new thinking and airways or what are you currently reading or I am read? reading I am reading innovation innovate or die from Oppenheimer uh I'm part of this executive book club uh and these books are really good um I think it's an incredible book um there is another book that I 
I read that I shared with our group, uh, the Hispanic business leaders, which is called The One Thing. I think that book made me rethink a lot of things. <laughs> um, and and but the biggest book I have that I uh, that I uh, ever read, um, maybe maybe El Principito. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I you know I am not a big uh, a big book fan, and and I will tell you why. I'm not a reading learner. I'm a vision learner. So if you could ask me about like, I will I would recommend people to watch millions of TED Talks because that's what I watched and millions of documentaries about leadership. There's actually one that I just watched with my son. It's on Netflix. It's um, it's uh, it's called Leaders, Leaders or Leadership. Um, and it's about coaches of different sports. Um, and they talk about their experience. So it's like the coach of the Boston Celtics where they won their championship. And he talks about leadership, like how he needed to make decisions with pressure and how to deal with personalities in his team. And then they talk about racial issues and how he, being a black coach, was now, you know, confronting someone that was talking about, you know, blacks in a, in a, in a wrong way. And as a coach, as a leader, how he took a responsibility and, and isolated the team to those conversations. Then we have Mourinho, which is a soccer coach. They talk us about like all the incredible things about being a leader in the pitch and being a leader outside of the pitch. I mean, I don't have one book in particular that I love. Um, but if I have to tell people, you know, just there's so much content out there, right? When it comes into Netflix, when it comes into YouTube, uh, TED Talks are incredible. You know, they have so much content. I would recommend highly people to read the one thing. Uh, it is an incredible book. Um, I think that sometimes we're just uh, busy with so many things. We really don't concentrate on what we really have to get done. And if you want to organize yourself to be more productive and to be more, um, to utilize your abilities in the best way, I think that book is a way to do that. And, and it will give you some guidelines on how to do that. So that that will be my recommendation. I love Not it. Not but many, like yeah. education would be. <laughs> Definitely. Now, what are you do? What do you do? What does John Moreno Escobar do when he is not thinking education and leadership or um, our local government? What do you? Uh, you mentioned sports. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I do. I, I started playing soccer again. It's my passion. I actually play semi-professional soccer back home. I got on a scholarship playing soccer for my for my local college um so soccer it's definitely um something that i that i that i enjoy doing uh that kind of like gives me that peace of mind um but i also enjoy my time with my son right uh one of the things that i learned through covid was that i was not spending the right time with my family and i try to adjust that and now you know we do a lot of things together like you see him he wants to watch a show with me um, but, um, but, you know, I think that you, you learn those things. So yeah, playing soccer, enjoying time with the family, maybe going to the pool, maybe going to, to travel yeah. with, with a little one and with my wife. Yes. I love that. Um, all right. So I do, I am so grateful that you came on the show today. Um, I want to make sure that you can go ahead and spend some, some quality time with him. Don't want to keep you too much longer. What is one like a message, one last message, whether you're talking to the children in the education system or the education system itself, what is one message that you want to put out there? Um, that's important to you. To, to the young people, to follow your passions and to, to really try to find your soul and yourself by, by doing things that are not part of the educational system. So if you like to, to do technology, go and check every single thing there is not in your classroom, you know, go into learning how to code by yourself, do the ex go and do the extra mile uh, because it's, it's what is going to, really puts you at the top of the list. It's gonna, you know, it's gonna fuel you to go all the way to where you wanna go. If you don't know that same youth, if you don't know what you want to do, be, it's okay. I just had a, a conversation with a, a friend of mine, told me, ah, oh, please talk to my cousin. She doesn't know what to do. She's in UF and she's confused. And, and I think that nobody told her what I told her, which is like, it's okay to not know it. 
what you want to do. Our kids have so much pressure. These young people have so much pressure that everyone wants them to be college degree people, master's, PhD, you know, uh, six-figure jobs, all these things. And nobody tells you, like, you have to be your best version. So my invitation is, if you know what you want to do, just go and do it. There was one thing I will leave you. I will leave the young people with this from this show I told you about Netflix. There was one thing that this coach did. They went a career day and they asked him, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" And he said, "I want to be a basketball player." The teacher was so mad. The basketball players are not a professional. It's not a career. Blah 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 blah. blah. They, you know, they bombarded this kid with so much negativity. The parent took him home and was like, "What are you saying? I want to be a professional basketball player." Next month, they had another career day. They asked the same question to him, and he comes in front of everyone. What do you want to be? I want to be a professional basketball player. The dad was like, I cannot do anything about this teacher. That's what he wants to do. And then to the adults, sidelining this to the adults, if your son wants to be a basketball player, you want him to be, I don't know, a doctor, let him go and explore that because that is where his mind is. Give him all the tools. Give him all the love. Give him all the things that they need to do in order to be successful, to be a basketball player, to be an astronaut, to be a coder, to be a doctor, to be a lawyer. You know, supported them 100%. And if you don't know what to do, it's okay. Explore going to the classes that you might don't like. You know, do the, do the due diligence of going and, and, and asking people who went through the same thing you're going through. You know, maybe your cousin, maybe your grandma, maybe your dad, maybe your mom. Look, mom, um, I don't know what to do. Ask the people that you feel comfortable talking to about that, not being ready for making a decision because that is fun. You don't want to make a decision that you're going to regret all your life. So that is the the, the thing for the for the young adults. And then for the adults, you know, we have to participate. We have to let our voice heard. And how we do that is unfortunately for some of you that are, uh, you know, hesitant to participate in politics or in participating in, in, in elections or participating in, in getting involved in volunteer. That is the way that we transform our system. It's participating, it's uh, uniting our forces and our voices with people that have been in, in moments of, of distress. And, 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 and that is how we become one society, which is not happening right now because of the elections and because we have, I'm sorry to say this in the show, we have a divisive president that put us into two different AB kind of thing. And we are not that. This country, the I think the, the biggest message I could send out to the adults is that the power of this country, it's that we have been, the United States of America, have been always the country that has unified people around something. Right when I came into this country, the biggest thing I will remember always in my life was volunteer, give back, help the other person. Right, that was that is what America is about. It's not about divisive politics. It's about coming together, and so get together with other people that you don't that, that you don't get along, that you don't have the same political view, that you don't have the same educational goals for your kid, and come into agreements, come into middle ground. And, and and learn about the other person. You know, I watch Fox News and I don't agree with anything that Fox News says, but I need to hear what they're thinking. Um, so for the adults, participate, get uncomfortable, have these hard conversations, go through the process of understanding the others, uh, you know, uh, participate in politics because it's important, vote, donate, volunteer, right? Um, and 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 get involved. Get get you know, get involved somehow. If you don't like to go and speak in front of people, then go and do calls. Go do texting. Go volunteer. Uh, learn from the candidates. You know they're going to make decisions. People don't know, don't understand this. People make decisions if that you don't like. If you're not there, believe me. If you don't want a light in the corner of your house, right? A traffic light in the corner of your house. And you don't show up and say, like, I'm, I'm one person that don't like it. Maybe you just by putting yourself in that mic that night of the city council meeting saying, I don't like that light in that corner because it's YZ. You're going to have a rally of people that now feel entitled and empowered because of your voice. People don't understand that. People, those decisions are made. Oh, no, public comment. 
I see it here in my city. Nobody shows up. Okay, decision made. And then something happened. Well, God forbid bad. Something happened. Oh, well, we made a decision. Nobody came. It's not our fault because we know make it accountable. And they work for us. We pay taxes. The president, the vice president, the secretaries, the council members, the police officer, the 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 firefighter, they all work because we pay their tax, we pay our taxes, and they work because we need them, and they have to be accountable for what they do. And I don't want to get into a police conversation, but in the educational conversation, you know, we elect our board members, we hire our superintendent, and everyone else accountable of what they do every day, every second, every hour. And if we don't make them accountable, they're going to do whatever they want. I love that. Thank you so much. Like all of that was so true. And I love that message at the end that somebody's got to stand up. Somebody's got to be the voice. Somebody's got to have that um, audacity and, you know, in the guts to say, I'm going to speak up for people that maybe can't speak up or, or mm -hmm. don't feel the capacity to, to speak up. Thank you so much, John. I loved having you. And I, I'm sure there's going to be more because there's just so much more conversation that we can have. But how can somebody learn more about you, connect with you, you know, whether it's on LinkedIn or what? How can somebody connect with you? You know, LinkedIn is the best way. I mean, I've been a member of LinkedIn since it started. <laughs> I think like the month after it started, I became a LinkedIn uh, fan. So LinkedIn is where I have my network. Um, you guys could find me as John. John Moreno or Johncito Moreno, I think it's, let me double check, but I think it's John, I, I, I always give my name and it happens to be my Twitter, but it's Johncito Moreno, so Johncito with a C, uh, Johncito Moreno at LinkedIn, and and if you want to email, uh, I mean, if you want to find about the foundation, you could go to um, y as in Yankee, V as in Victor, foundation.com you could find the programs there you have any questions you could submit up in the box the comment box um contact us box uh comments and questions about what we do but yeah i mean as as the mission for our foundation is reinventing education so we are going to reinvent education and and this is spaces maybe spark ideas from your listeners to get involved locally nationally uh but get involved again my invitation is get involved. There's so many things that we could solve, uh, but we need um, like-minded people to do it together again, uh, together and, and as a community. So, I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you for being on Cafe Con Leadership. You are absolutely an example of the leadership thinking and the mindset that we need more of. And I Thank hope you. this uh, infects a lot of people with some good ideas and some good motivation to do what they need to do. Awesome. Thank you, Sandrita, for the invitation. Your Café Con Leadership. I love the name. Thank you so much. <laughs> Quédate un momentito. Take care, guys. <laughs>